0: All right, yesterday was Veterans Day, and I'd like our veterans to stand up. Can you stand up if you're a veteran? All right, let's give it up for our veterans. Thank you all for your service. We greatly appreciate it, and it is much underappreciated, sadly, in our society today. So, thank you. Turn to John chapter 16. I'm going to do something today that I don't do too often, and I'm just going to read one verse to begin with. That will be the basis for my sermon. Actually, it's not even the whole verse. It's just a half of a verse. Okay, um, But you guys know me good enough, I'm not going to rip it out of context. John 16 in verse 33, right in the middle of it. Jesus says this, talking to his disciples, In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. And it was uh, a week ago today that there was a church shooting in Sutherland Springs, Texas at um, the First Baptist Church of Sutherland where a gunman walked in and fired an estimated 450 rounds during seven minutes of carnage. Um, Sadly, 26 people died, murdered. 20 were wounded. Uh, The oldest was a 71-year-old. The youngest was a baby still in her mother's womb. The pastor's own 14-year-old daughter was among those murdered. And one extended family ended up losing eight members that day. And at times like this, um, it makes sense for us to pray. And that was the sentiment of many people, many believers. Um, sadly, others took the opportunity to mock Christians in their faith, to mock them for praying. And the uh, criticism was so strong that um, people came up with the term prayer shaming, making people feeling bad for praying. right? Um, And it's sad because, you know, when Christopher Hitchens, the well-known atheist, he came down with cancer a number of years ago, ended up um, unfortunately passing away from it, Um, people um, told him, hey, we're praying for you, we're praying for you, we're praying for you, and he thanked them, even though obviously he didn't even believe their prayers meant anything. But he was at least gracious. Um, That was not the sentiment from many well-known people. I will just read a few of the comments. To all those asking for thoughts and prayers for the victims in the church shooting, it seems that your direct line to God is not working. Someone else said, they were in church. I think they were trying to be funny. They said they were in church. They had the prayer shot right out of them. Maybe try something else. And then a third one said, the murdered victims were in a church. If prayers did anything... They'd still be alive. That was the sentiment of many, many people if you were on social media. Um, here's the fact of the, of the matter. Um, suffering and tragedy are part of this fallen world. And we don't like to always admit that. And the, usually what we do is we just don't think about it. We push it out of our mind. But suffering and prayer are part of this fallen world. Um, Look back at John, that verse that I read. Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation. So Jesus let us know 2,000 years ago there was going to be tribulation, sorrows, trials, troubles. It's a guarantee. It is a guarantee. And he gave us, um, if he would have given us a different picture, and if he would have said, you know, Uh, in this world, everything's going to be peachy, everything is going to be awesome, everything's going to be amazing, then maybe we could scratch our heads and go, well, huh, that's really not, like, the reality that we're experiencing. Um, But he didn't sugarcoat it. He didn't give us the wrong impression. He told us the truth, in part, so we'd be prepared. Um, If we only focus on this world, then it's actually pretty depressing. The here and the now um, can be quite depressing at times. Um, I used to be a news junkie. I guess I still kind of am, but I've 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 backed way off. Um, and I used to just love watching the news, love watching political commentaries. But you know what I found out? I ended up like mad most of the time. I mean, <laughs> I was either mad at what you know certain people that I maybe more aligned myself with we're doing or weren't doing, or mad about the other people that really didn't line up with me, Were doing or weren't doing. And it seems like progress never was made. Um, Honestly, even as I reflected back on it a couple days ago, I'm like, wow, I mean, progress hasn't been made, you know, Um, in, in, in politics, the way that maybe some of us like, the way that it's sometimes portrayed as being made progress. I think there is some... Um, but not as much as it's paraded around. And so <clears throat> um, I personally just had to cut some of that out. So I love—I still read news sites and different things, but it's just depressing. Because if you think about the news, very often little is celebrated. It's usually about this tragedy, this horror, this sad story. Um, and it's all focused on the here and now. It's all got a bent to it. And the vast majority of it, depending on what you're reading or watching, is not from a Christian perspective. Well, that's going to be pretty depressing. Um, the thing for us to remember is, guess what? Being a believer doesn't free us from the tragedy and the suffering. Sin affects everyone. No one is free from the effects. Um, I used to think when I first got saved that like, everything was happy and amazing all the time. And for me, it was, <laughs> for the first part. Um, I knew for other believers, though, as I got to know people, that they were experiencing hardship, trouble, suffering, trials. And I was like, huh. And then I started to read the Bible more, and I was like, wow. Like, there was trials back then, there's affliction back then, there's suffering back then. People I know are going through it. And then guess what happened to me? I started going through it, right? I went kind of through the, the honeymoon phase that I believe the Lord gives many believers when they first get saved, right? He is very, very gracious to them. And then it's kind of like, he's kind of like, you know what? It's, it's time for you to grow up a little bit. It's time for you to, to take off the diapers and start wearing the underoos. <laughs> right? And you're all excited about that. It's time to grow up. So then the Lord lets some trials and some temptations, some suffering, some hardship into your own life to grow you, to have you seek Him more. And remember what He says again in John 16 uh, In the world you will have tribulation, but who is He talking to here? In the world, you, the disciples, You, the disciples, will have tribulation. Jesus is talking to his disciples in this passage. And it is frustrating to me, having been saved for 22 years now, um, when I hear preachers on the radio or see them on TV, they act like suffering and affliction does not happen to believers. It just astounds me. It saddens me. It disgusts me, and it actually angers me. I mean, do you know how much of the New Testament you have to throw out? if you're like, hey, let's just cut out all the affliction and suffering stuff. Like, there goes the book of Acts. I mean, that's pretty much gone. Um, 1 Thessalonians totally would be out of there. 1 Peter would be gone. I mean, you'd have to, and then all the other books, you'd have to cut out large sections. Uh, let's just look at 1 Thessalonians. I just want you to see this short little book of, of five chapters. Paul just hits this idea of affliction and suffering. So he starts out in verse 4 of chapter 1. For we know, brothers loved by God, that He has chosen you, because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. All right, so they received it in affliction. Uh, Look a couple verses down in chapter 2, starting in verse 1, he says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. All right, so just in that verse... There's suffering, shameful treatment, and much conflict. Go down uh, a few more verses down to verse 14, same chapter. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews. I mean, there it is again. Chapter 3. He starts out, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone, and we sent Timothy, our brother, and God's co-worker, and the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith that no one be moved by these afflictions. Right? So they're sending Timothy to encourage them, right, to help ground them as they're facing these afflictions. Then there's this interesting part in verse 3. For you yourselves know that we are destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass and just as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter had tempted you and our labor would be in vain. So Paul knows that they're under so much affliction that he sends Timothy to help ground them, but also concerned that some of them actually might have fallen away from the faith because the affliction Was so intense. We could go verse after verse after verse with the New Testament. This is what is echoed throughout. Okay, but here's the thing: Um, sin, while it affects humanity, it didn't just affect humanity. It it affected creation itself. Look at Romans chapter eight. He starts out in verse nineteen. For creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So creation is in bondage. He goes on. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So sin affects the physical world. Okay? The way it's part of the curse, but it's really just part of Adam's choice to sin. It affected. The world itself. And here we get this picture. It's kind of like creation is personified, and it's, it is groaning. It's eagerly longing. What is it wanting? It's wanting Jesus to come back. It's wanting Jesus to come back and renew the creation. It's wanting Jesus to come back, and, and the old things will pass away, the new will come. That's, that's what creation here is is longing for. Okay? What, what God's going to do with the new heavens and the new earth, it's, it's not like we're just going to be living right where we're at in the same little house. Or so, I mean, it's going to be completely different. Yeah. And if you think you know, the Grand Canyon is amazing now, I mean, wait till you see it. Yeah. When it's born again. <laughs> when it's made anew. Uh, the world is not the way it's supposed to be. Um, But it will one day be. And here's the thing. The central event of the Bible, Jesus being crucified on a cross, that central event involved great suffering. The God who suffered knows exactly what suffering is like. When you are suffering, when you are dealing with affliction, when you are dealing with trials... God has been there. That's what really sets apart Christianity from other religions. God became a man. And he went through the same things that we go through. He suffered. He was stricken. He was sick. He had horrible days. He was discouraged at times. He was frustrated, yet without sin. So he knows suffering, listen to this, experientially. He knows it experientially. He knows what it's like. And he knows injustice. He knows what it's like to be dealt with unjustly. He knows. Not from a distance, but close up. And one day, he's going to deal with the injustice. He will deal with it. If he he never dealt with it, that would be unjust. But he can postpone justice. Why does he postpone it? He's hoping and giving opportunity for repentance. Think about that. I mean, if he judged us, which he rightly could, the first time we messed up, we'd never have an opportunity to repent. If he judged us, let's just say some horrible sin, We'd never have an opportunity to repent. Even his mercy is evident way back in the garden. He postpones judgment on Adam and Eve in part. Because he said, On the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Did they die? No. The judgment was postponed. He postpones it. So <clears throat> here we are demanding justice at times. We always demand justice for everybody else. We always desire mercy for ourselves, right? So when we're wronged, we, we want that person justice full extent of the law. okay when we, what, what do we do when, when we've done something wrong? I mean we're, we're begging and, and pleading for mercy. okay? Well, well, God is like that gracious father. He, I mean he is postponing the judgment. Why? So that some might come to repentance. He is as the King James says, we say patient. The King James says long-suffering. It's really a, a better way to say it, because that's what patience really is, long-suffering. That's what he is doing. So this God who, who suffered, he knows it experientially. Um, he's coming back to claim his own. And he tells us, look at John 18, I want you to see this. This is him talking with Pilate. He says in verse 36, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. So if it was, like he said, he would have told his followers to raise up, to fight. Uh, he could have flexed his his powers and taken whatever throne that he wanted to take. That wasn't the mission. It was a rescue mission. It was a rescue mission to get people into his kingdom, a much, much, much greater kingdom than any earthly kingdom. And, li- and think about this. When we pray the Lord's Prayer, what do we pray? Your kingdom come. I mean, that's what we're literally pr- praying. Your kingdom. Kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Uh, What are we praying there? Lord, I mean, we want you back. We're ready for you to come. Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. We want him here in our midst. We want the kingdom, his kingdom, on this earth. So he says, in the world you will have tribulation. Take heart. Take heart. I have overcome the world. All right? There is a world to come. Look at Revelation chapter 21. Revelation 21, verse 1, it says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. One day God's going to take this world and make it how he intended it to be. Not fallen, not with tragedies, not with sorrows, not with suffering. It will be remade it will be made exactly how he wants it. And notice what he says to us in verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. You guys ready for the crying to be done? Um, Yes, I am, okay? I don't even cry a lot, okay? (laughs) But I'm ready for the crying, the tears. Um, I'm ready for the death to be done. I'm ready to, to stop seeing my loved ones taken. Are you ready for that? I'm ready for that. And he says, there shall be no mourning, no crying, no pain anymore. The former things have passed away. That's the former stuff. We're right now living in the former stuff. But we got a future stuff that doesn't have any of that. Okay? And sometimes what we need to do is we need to set our eyes on the hope of the resurrection, on the hope of a tomb that is empty, on the hope that God has us, that he has each one of us, and none of us will perish before his intended time. Not one of us. And it's not his desire that any should eternally perish. That's what it says, Second Peter. He wants all to come to a repentance. And that is why he postpones judgment. We are his witnesses now here on this earth. He wants us to be the ones that stand in the gap, that are faithful. He wants us to be the ones that shine the light in these type of circumstances, the ones that intercede for others. And so what I would like us to do is to take a bit us to pray for first baptist church in sutherland springs texas um they opened up the church today i think they're planning on making it a memorial is my understanding um understandably and are going to probably have to um have a new church somewhere but i'd like to us to intercede for um, for this church for these families in this church um, for the tragedy that has occurred Um, those are our brothers and sisters I mean, it's that simple, our brothers and sisters in Christ. And um, God knows our hearts. Uh, 26 of them um, are dead. And those that knew the Lord went to be with him. And we will see them again one day. Those are martyrs for the faith. We got martyrs right here in the U.S. Did you ever think it'd come to that? I think some of us did, but it's becoming more of a reality. And we need to be willing to stand for our faith, regardless of the cost. So, um, do we got the microphone right there? Yep. If you want to come down, you can pray. And then I'm going to wrap us up um, after we've prayed for a bit. Lord, I pray for your mercy and grace on that church. I pray you'd pour it out abundantly on each one of them. Um, I pray for the pastor that and his staff, you'd give them uh, wisdom. And discernment as they shepherd their flock. I pray for healing God. I pray for the God of all healing and comfort to be real to them more so now than ever. I pray, God, for um, the survivors, Lord, as they have weeks and months and years of healing to go through, God, that um, you would walk them through that process. Lord, let your light shine in that church and through that church. I pray that church would, would rise up even more um, to glorify you, to seek you. That you would use this, Lord, for your glory. That you would use this to bring people to know you. I pray, God, that, that this wouldn't discourage people, unbelievers, from visiting a church, that it wouldn't discourage believers from going to church, God. That you would use it to make believers more resolute in their faith. And I pray, God, for, for the mockers, Lord, and the scoffers, that, that you'd have mercy. Because that's what we were, God, before we knew you. So have mercy on them, Lord. And bring them to know you, God. Let us be reminded of the shortness of life. And we are but a vapor. So minister abundantly, Lord, to those families to the extended families there, to that community, God. I do, I agree, I pray revival would break out there, that it would spread, Lord, throughout that city, throughout that town, throughout that state, throughout this nation, Lord. And that people would become emboldened even more so to preach your word and to be a witness, God. Let the light shine in the darkness and let us be that light for you, God. We thank you that we can come before you, Lord, and um, offer these requests to you, God, with the authority that we have in your Son. Amen.